So I've had a lot of fun uh, this fall uh, being on campus at Oakland University. Uh, many of you know that I'm leading a mission development uh, called Zoe Oakland uh, over at Oakland University and, and for young adults around the North Oakland County area, uh, sort of parallel to my, my role here at King of Kings. And, and it's cool being back in campus ministry, back on campus interacting with students. Uh, some of you know this is not my first rodeo with college and young adult ministry, that I did this while I was in seminary uh, running a college ministry at the University of Toledo. Uh, it is actually what I thought I was going to be doing long-term when I went to seminary. I thought I would just I would be doing college ministry, and then and God kind of took a, a left turn with my life, and I ended up here with all of you, which I'm very grateful for as well. But it's cool that things sort of, have sort of come full circle uh, for me. And one of the realities that I've observed with college students, uh, both then when I worked in Toledo and then now as I interact with students at OU's campus, is that young adults and students tend to have a tremendous amount of anxiety about their future. Now, you wouldn't know this just observing them on campus, but anytime you start asking questions like, what do you want to do after school? How are you going to get there? What is your, your plan? Uh, most are not without a plan. The anxiety comes when they start to think about whether or not they have it within them to achieve it. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty about whether this plan that they have will happen or not. And a real lack of confidence in themselves for in, in their ability to achieve their plan. Uh, and a real concern about what happens if that plan doesn't come into fruition. And, and I've, I've been able to articulate it uh, uh, this, this way, that, that if I'm a college student, if I don't get a good grade on the exam I have coming up, then I'm not going to get a good grade in the class. And if I don't get a good grade in the class, then I won't have a good GPA. And if I don't have a good GPA, then I won't get the, the, co- the co-op or the internship that I need. And if I don't get the co-op or the internship that I need, then I won't get the job that I want after college. And if I don't get the job that I want after college, then I won't have the life that I want after college. And if I don't have the life that I want after college, then my life won't matter. That's a lot. (laughs) Like, wow, right? But the thing is, when I've articulated that back to a lot of students and young adults that I've worked with, and I've shared that with them, their response is, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. That's pretty much where where my, my, my thoughts go. And as I've transitioned into ordained ministry, becoming a pastor of this church, working predominantly up until this point with adults, I've found that that train of anxiety continues into adulthood. The cars on the train may look different, but that train of thinking for so many is prevalent. The, the, the cars on the train might be about a job, or they might be about kids and family, or it might be about the neighborhood or the, the property that we own, or later on in life, what kind of retirement that we're going to have. It might even relate to church and faith. Anxiety about the future is rampant, and, and you might have a plan for the life that you want. But there may also be accompanying that plan a lack of certainty in whether that plan comes into fruition. You might doubt your ability to execute that plan, and there might be an abundance of concern for what happens if you don't. Lack of certainty, lack of confidence, and an abundance of concern are the recipe for the anxiety about your future.
Now, people will go through stretches where they'll just choose to not think about it, right? That they'll pretend it's not a problem, uh, they'll distract themselves from their emotions. But if you're someone for whom there is that anxiety, it's always there, right? It's always gnawing at you below the surface. What if rather than ignoring the problem, you took steps to solve the problem? What if worrying, what if instead of worrying daily about your future, what if you focused solely on the needs of the day, trusting in God's power, and that no matter what happens, you would be okay? What would that change for you? Would you make the necessary shifts of perspective and priorities? Would you commit to learning to trust? So we're, we're continuing our sermon series that we started a few weeks ago called First World Problems, Jesus Solutions to Suburban Struggles. And I really enjoyed preaching through these things. I hope those of you who've been around have enjoyed hearing them as, as we've talked about these, these struggles of stress and comparison and grief and loneliness. Uh, if, you, if you've missed any of those, you can go to our podcast and you can check those messages out. Today we're talking about anxiety. Next week we'll end this series talking about entitlement. And these are all really destructive problems in our lives. They, they, they are problematic in the world around us. They're, they're problematic in our internal world. And I believe Jesus has solutions to these. I believe that Jesus makes a real difference in the lives of people who struggle with these problems. We can, we can look at the problems of our lives and we can look at the world around us and you, we can say, well, we don't really have it that bad. And that, and that might be sort of true, but first world problems are still problems. And Jesus offers solutions. And the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of anxiety is trust. Now, before I go any further, I want to be really clear about what I mean when I talk about anxiety. I'm not talking about the diagnosable medical condition of anxiety where there's something in the brain chemistry that, that causes us to react a certain way. Having challenges in your mental health does not disqualify you from following Jesus. Like, sometimes we need Jesus and also a therapist, okay? Sometimes we need Jesus and medication. Like, we can do both things. That's not the anxiety that I'm talking about. The anxiety I'm talking about, and I think that Jesus is talking about in our text, is one in which our lives are dominated by, by our concerns for our needs, wants, and desires, and what will happen to us in the future if those needs, wants, and desires are fulfilled. And everybody carries around this anxiety to, to some degree. And for most people, anxiety about the future is a matter of power perspectives, and priorities. So let's work these backwards. Let's start with priorities. So the audience that Jesus was speaking to is very different than the audience that Jesus is speaking to in this room today. It would have been made up of people that were deeply uh, impoverished in, in every area of life. One of the hard things about following Jesus and reading the Bible is understanding that, that it's a very different world. And the people that, that Jesus encounters and the people that Jesus intentionally went to 
have very little in comparison to us, at least on, on the surface. Like if Jesus showed up today, he's probably not coming to Lake Orion. He's probably going to show up in Pontiac. He's probably going to show up in, in Detroit. And honestly, he's probably not coming to white people. Like I, that's just that Jesus wasn't white. He went to a part of the world where most people didn't have these kind of, of, of uh, there was an ethnic thing going on, but it was very different. So we have to read scripture through the lens of the people that would have heard Jesus's words and what they were thinking about and dealing with at that point in time, if we really want to understand what it is that Jesus has to say uh, to us in 2023. Because I think Jesus does have things to say in 2023, but we do have to do a little bit of that work. The, the people that were uh, in, in Jesus's time that Jesus was speaking to, they, were, they lived under an oppressive Roman tax system where they had no money. I know you'll hear people complain about the quote-unquote oppressive tax system of today. This is not that, okay? This is very, these people literally had all of their incomes taken from them, all of it by the Roman government. And so they would have had real concerns about food and clothing and how they were going to make it through the day. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that, that if we're, if we're not, our basic needs are not being met, then we can't think about anything else beyond that. And when they aren't being met or they're in danger of not being met, they become the very central focus of our lives. So these people that Jesus was speaking to, their lives would have been arranged around survival. That they, the survival of their household, of them as individuals. And because there was a strong ethnic and religious identification, there would have been deep concern about the survival of their people. And they would have prioritized their lives around that survival and securing the physiological needs that Jesus points out. Have you ever heard of the term survival mode? I'm in survival mode right now. This would have been their persistent and ongoing condition. And so Jesus steps into that world and says to them, do not worry about your life. Thanks, Jesus. How is that going to actually play out, right? And so that's how their priorities were arranged. Their perspective was to look at examples of superabundance as a sign of God's action and God's favor. So when Jesus talks about the lilies of the field, he compares it to their best example of superabundance, which was the kingdom of Solomon. And Solomon was a big deal in, in, uh, Jewish, uh, in Jewish life and in, and in religious life. And, and his God-given wisdom had given him a superabundance of wealth and power and prestige, everything that the people of Jesus' day did not have. And so when they looked at their lives, they, they would read these stories about what Solomon had experienced and they would compare to their lot in life, not just as individuals, but as a community. And that was what they longed for, for the glory of the kingdom of Israel to return and for them to reap the benefits of that. And then power, the power in their minds to arrange all of that to happen for some semblance of abundance resided with them. And so they would worry about what to eat and what to drink and what to wear. And through that worry, that was how they would acquire it. If they focused on that, they would acquire what they would need. Now, for most of us, our priorities are different than the priorities of Jesus' day. Basic survival for most of us 
is not a real concern. Like if something were to happen, most of us have some kind of runway that, that you know, we might be okay tomorrow and the next. And if it's ongoing, it might, it might be really problematic. But our basic day-to-day survival is not uh, where most of us place our concern. But safety and security and significance, that's where many of us live in our worry and our anxiety, those next-level needs that we might organize our lives around. And our, our perspective of comparison is those who have a super abundance of what it is that we want. Now, we may not compare ourselves to the people with the biggest house on the lake, although we might. We may not compare ourselves to the person with the nicest car, although we might. But for, but for many that I witness, it's more about the lives that have been arranged, the, the picture-perfect families that you see on social media, and the kids who excel in school and in sports and, and the arts, the people who have the well-manicured yards, I can assure you that is not us in our neighborhood, okay, and, and, and the well-put-together lives, those with fulfilling and advancing careers, comfortable retirements with lots of travel and, and leisure. We, we see those who have that, and, and in our perspective, that is what we long for, and that is what we seek to arrange our lives around. And while the perspective and, and priorities might be different between Jesus' first century audience and his audience of today, the belief about where the power resides to arrange for all that is the same. We believe it's up to us. We believe it's on us to arrange our lives in this way. And there's this tension that you and I then wrestle with, that Jesus, people of Jesus' day would have wrestled with. We have certainty about what we want and uncertainty about whether it will happen or not. Confidence that it's the right thing for us but a lack of confidence in our ability to actually achieve it. Longing for how great it would be and concern for what will happen if we don't get there and achieve it. And into that tension, Jesus asks a very simple question. How's that working for you? I think that's where Dr. Phil got it from. He says in verse 27, Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life. He speaks about the power or lack thereof that you and I actually have. And this add a single moment to your life would have been a figure of speech in Jesus' day. In other words, what power do you actually have to arrange fully for the life that you want for yourself? That is a burden that is too much for you and I to pair. But believing that we must exercise the power is what causes the anxiety about our future to take hold. Because power informs our perspective, which then determines our priorities. When you believe it is on you to make it happen, you will look at your life from your own perspective of what is attractive and meaningful and successful and abundant, and it will, it will guide you to setting a certain kind of priority. But when you embrace that on your own, you cannot actually achieve the life that you want 
for yourself and, and then sustain it without a massive amount of anxiety and stress. Because some people can get there. They can, they can take the ground, but it's a whole other thing to keep the ground without that level of anxiety. When you recognize that, that there is a limit to your power to arrange for the life that you want and you embrace and surrender to God and allow God to leverage God's power in that way, your perspective begins to change about what life really is about and what really matters. You see God as the one who so beautifully clothed the lilies of the field in comparison to the material riches of the world and that that natural beauty in the eyes of God is far greater than any of the material beauty that that we can achieve. And God demonstrates observable care over creation. And Jesus says that God's care for the rest of creation pales in comparison to God's care for you and for me. He says, how much greater will God care for you than God will care for these grasses that look great today and then you run over them with the mower and they're gone tomorrow. And as you begin to see life from God's perspective, the priorities begin to change. Your priorities over what is important and what you will do to achieve it shift. No longer will your pursuits be driven by anxiety about the future, but you will trust that what you have at your disposable today is enough for today to meet the challenges that you face and that tomorrow will take care of itself. And so how do we do that? How do we let go of this need to be the ones that arrange for our lives and allow the power of God to shift our perspectives and change our priorities? Jesus tells us in verse 33, he said, said, instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When Jesus speaks of God's kingdom, he's talking about what God is trying to establish in the world. A world where justice and peace and love and mercy and beauty are the defining qualities of what it means to be human. And when he talks about God's righteousness, these are the specific ways that you and I are called to participate in the creation of that world. Making that happen. Embodying those qualities ourselves and giving access to and advocating for others so they might experience those as well. And what you might be thinking is, well, that sounds awesome, Pastor Eric, but here's the deal. I have responsibilities. I have a mortgage. I have a job. I have a family. I have other needs and wants and desires to attend to. How can I possibly manage everything going on in my life and also seek the kingdom and seek God's righteousness? And to that, Jesus says, don't worry about it. I know how, what I'm going to call you to do. I already know how I want you to do it. I already know how you're going to manage it. Just trust me and be open to how I'm going to lead you and don't need it to happen right now in this very moment and I will take care of the rest. 
When you make God's kingdom and righteousness your primary object of desire, you find the ability to trust God to meet your needs. To the college student anxious about the the exam, to the parent anxious about their children, to the worker anxious about their career, to the retiree anxious about the market. Jesus wants you to know that no matter what happens, as you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, everything else falls into place the way it needs to be. It might not be the way that you would choose, the way that you would want it in that moment, but it is the way that God intends, which is the best way for you. And that is why trust is the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of anxiety. Would you rise? A couple of questions I'd invite you to consider uh, as we close. What aspect of your future are you the most anxious over? And how might shifting the responsibility for your future to God help resolve that anxiety? So we'll take a moment, give you some time to reflect on that, and then I'll close the sermon in prayer. Lord, we come before you as a people who have been formed in a world that bought the lie that if it is to be, it's up to me. If it is to happen, it's us, up to us to make it happen, that we have the capacity to both create and sustain the life that we want for ourselves. And we can get sort of down the way of doing that. But there is a limit to our power. And in that is stress and anxiety and burden when we realize that. So often we chase things that that might be attractive to us but do not align with your kingdom and your righteousness. And so we ask, Lord, for guidance and wisdom. We ask for trust. We ask for faith to surrender and embrace the unlimited power that you have to create the life that you intended for us, that you would shift our perspectives, that you would help us rearrange our priorities to make space, that your kingdom and your righteousness would be the primary object of desire in our lives. Lord, and that we would then see with joy and with gratitude the superabundance that you have for us that you define as amazing, and that we would worship you and celebrate all that you've done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.